Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. And we're looking, you know, like we have a balcony here. The paper, you know, is flying all into our balcony, our yard and everything. And we, you know, we're... What happened? What was that? Oh, my gosh. What happened, Allegra? Something just blew up. Are you okay? Yes. Good evening. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. The victims were in airplanes or in their offices, secretaries, businessmen and women, military and federal workers, moms and dads, friends and neighbors. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. The pictures of airplanes flying into buildings, fires burning, huge huge structures collapsing, have filled us with disbelief terrible sadness, and a quiet, unyielding anger. President uh, George W. Bush, on the night of 9-11, two hijacked airliners being flown into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. There was a third commercial jet that was flown into the Pentagon, and the fourth airliner was uh, crashed into a field in Pennsylvania when the passengers attacked the hijackers. And you heard my interview with Ben Wainio, or at least Ben Wainio, explaining and describing his daughter Elizabeth calling her mother from that plane before the passengers decided they were going to go after the hijackers. So 20 years ago was 9-11. Those of us who were alive, those of us who have memories on that particular day, feel those memories very, very strongly today. And we're going to be talking to a number of people this hour who remember and were very much a part of that day, including the mayor of Gander, Newfoundland, former mayor, Claude Elliott. He'll be joining us. And uh, Rich Pedavera from uh, New York City, he's going to be joining Richard Will. He, uh, He was in his office on the 36th floor of one of the towers when the plane hit the tower I've known uh, this lady for for 20 years, and uh, she's a friend, Maureen Basnicki. Her husband died in the World Trade Center at that time, and uh, Maureen has fought very hard for recognition and compensation for Canadian victims of terror. She's also the driving force behind the National Day of Service to Canada. Maureen, thank you so much for coming on the program today. I can't imagine the uh, level of emotion you must be feeling, but... How are you, and and how is your family? I want to say, uh, oh my gosh, Roy, uh, having just heard uh, the uh, background that I just heard, um, it's certainly uh, a day uh, full of of all kinds of emotions. That's for sure. I say it's uh, a merry-go-round of emotions, and I. Uh, 
looking forward to getting off later on today. But basically, uh, my family's doing well as well as can one imagine. And uh, we, in spite of the um, the challenges that, that we face, uh, not only on September the 11th, 9-11, or hopefully to be called Service Day, we uh, continue uh, to rebuild our lives and um, to uh, create a proper legacy for the man that we all loved and for other Canadian uh, family members of the 9-11 attacks. You know, Maureen, I've found uh, invariably that it's people who suffer the most who are the ones who try to look out for everyone else to help in times when they're struggling. And you, you're you doing that, and you've been doing it for years. You've been very active in pursuing fairness for Canadians and their families who are victims of terrorism. I'm not sure how far we've come in this country, but I know you've fought diligently and very directly and been very, very um, uh, committed to this particular cause. Talk to us about that, please. Well, before I do, Roy, um, in case I should forget... I uh, I want to personally thank you, on uh, not only on behalf of my own uh, family, but uh, through all victims, uh, on behalf of all victims, um, through the years, you've always raised your voice for uh, our concerns. You've you've been a, a source of support and strength for all of us, and not only that, you've invited many times our mutual friend Scott Newark to discuss victims' issues with you. Um, you your friend Dan McTagg, former member of, of the Liberal Party, and uh, numerous victims who have been able to uh, uh, strengthen their voice through you, and, and I thank you for that. Thank you, I had to say it now before, uh, in case I'm, I forget to say it. It's very kind. Thank show. you. Thank you. So on the issue, um, and, and this is near and dear to your heart, as, as I've learned from you over the years, fairness for Canadians and their families who've been victims of terrorism, how are we doing on that? We're not doing well, Roy. Um, we don't have any bragging rights in Canada. Um, the murder of my husband Ken put me in the Victims of Crime Club, albeit by terrorists, and uh, in the U.S. I'm a cross-border victim. I had no idea how we treated victims uh, prior to Ken's murder because, of course, I wasn't in the club. It's terrorism that put me in the club. I did not realize how little support all victims of many types of violent crime um, are are treated in Canada. Uh, there certainly wasn't fairness for me uh, as a Canadian who actually lived in Canada, the attacks that happened in the U.S. You'll receive a, a very different story and, and, and have a many different uh, experiences from the Canadians that lived in the States. But although um, uh, our province of Ontario tried, and that was through the Canadian Resource Centre for Victims of Crime, of which Scott Newark worked, there was no plan or policy in place for such a, uh, a crime. And 20 years later, there still is not a 
plan and policy in place. So when you talk about fairness, there's never been any fairness. And fast forward, we've got many more victims of terrorism uh, in Canada, victims of mass murder in Canada, and we still do not have um, the proper uh, support system available. And I'm fighting hard to have the federal government recognize this because victim services uh, fall under the provinces. And uh, the provinces are just not equipped to deal with any type of mass murder or any type of uh, terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. So much has to be done on this front. And, and you're right. It's been it's gone on for far too long. And politicians too frequently pay lip service and then they get on with whatever is primary to them. And this has to stop. But, Maureen, you're also involved in something, and you just touched on it, September uh, 11th, becoming a National Day of Service in Canada. Speak to us about that. So I'm happy to say that uh, I had a great uh, working relationship with the former Harper government. And on the 10th anniversary, so 10 years ago today, we were in New York at the same time. And through the efforts of... uh, Senator Pamela Wallen um, and other uh, advocates, um, the uh, Harper government, uh, with much pleading from the Canadian families that actually lived in Canada, uh, we uh, were told that September the 11th, from here on in, would be designated as a National Day of Service. So we were delighted uh, that this happened. It was no longer a dream of ours. But since that time, (laughs) uh, the awareness just has not been there. Many Canadians don't know about the intention of the day. And um, frankly, um, I I can say it now, I'm not uh, shy about my feelings of the current Prime Minister, but anything that the Harper government did is discounted. So perhaps that's one of the reasons why you don't hear about Service Day. And might I add, two years ago, Roy, um, our uh, friend Mr. Trudeau called the election on September 11th. That's right, he did. Yes, he did. Yes. Yes, he did. Maureen, thank you for joining us today. I, I, I can't imagine the range of emotions. You must be feeling you're a remarkable person. You've done so much for people that at the most difficult time of your life. Great to talk to you as always. Thank you. Please give uh, Claude Elliott uh, a, a virtual hug for me. Come from away is near and dear to my heart, and I encourage all Canadians to uh, watch it. And for sure. you know how important it, it, it is yes, to me, Roy. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Maureen. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Maureen Basnicki, come from away of course, has to do with the uh, the efforts and the contributions made by the people of Gander, Newfoundland, on September the 11th and in the days to follow when the population of that community swelled to almost double its normal size, swelled to almost 40,000 people. As I was standing there, I watched a gentleman, and I'll never get this image out of my, uh, out of my mind. It was a gentleman with black hair, blue pinstripe suit, white shirt, red tie, fell over 94s back first to the ground, and I watched it completely from top to bottom. When I talk about upsetting, uh, tears open up in your eyes. That's somebody that you worked with, somebody that uh, you see every day. There's quite a tight community down. 
There's one of our guests from our uh, first anniversary broadcast in 9-11 in New York City. Um, we had a network sh- broadcast that day, and we rented studio space at WOR Radio. And uh, with me in New York was uh, Rick Zamprin. Rick is the morning show host at 900 CHML in Hamilton. Rick at the time was the producer for my program and uh we got there the day before. We got there on September the 10th, and we spent the uh, evening, a good part of the evening, at the site of the former World Trade Center, and it was uh, it was an eerie feeling. And uh, I, I still, Rick, I still get very emotional when I think about our visit to New York and our particularly our evening at that, you know, at the site and seeing St. Paul's Chapel, which had not been uh, damaged at all. At the uh, by the attacks on the World Trade Center and the tribute fence with thousands of pieces of individual tribute for those who were injured and those who died at the World Trade Center. And, I, and you know this. There was a little piece of cardboard. I'll never forget it. And the child's writing, I love you, Daddy. Just heartbreaking. What are you, what are you thinking about right now? There's, there's so many, you know, emotions and, and thoughts. And, you know, I, I remember the broadcast like they were yesterday, but even more so, I just remember... The things that we saw and, and the things that we experienced, and one of those that really strikes me is the taxi ride that we took, not to Ground Zero, because the cab driver just couldn't bring himself to take us right to that scene, dropped us off a block or two away, um, but just seeing the emptiness and the enormity of the space there. Yes. And the eerie silence, despite you know, dozens of workers still being in that cavernous space, the, the trucks that were, you know, carrying debris away still a year later was just a phenomenal scene. And you mentioned St. Paul's Chapel, all the memorials, the personal mementos, the handwritten notes, the faces of those who family members thought were just missing uh, or just wanted to keep their memory alive. Um, Those are probably the most, you know, striking memories that still stick to me to this day. I will never forget the, uh, and I'm not sure what the building was, but it was a large building that was behind the site of the former World Trade Centers, which for all the world looked like a normal construction site uh, that was underway. It, it didn't look like the tragic circumstance that we'd witnessed the year before, but there was a, a huge American flag that was draped down the front of this building. And I will I will never forget that, Rick. I'll, I just, it's as, it's as, it's as strong and as uh, compelling now the memory as it was at that particular that particular moment. You though, uh, by the way, you did a you know this. You did an amazing job uh, producing that program. I ended up with laryngitis, which is not the best thing when you're when you're doing a network broadcast. Started out with Brian Mulrooney with that big baritone voice of his, and I sounded like like Mickey Mouse. But it it was there were so many competing emotions, and you know what I remember? The Americans were so grateful and thankful that we come. Well, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, for those who were working in the studios at WOR, uh, you know, even people on the streets, uh, you know, realizing that we were there and, you know, so happy that we were there to commemorate an important anniversary. Another thing that sticks with me, too, and you know this, I, I visited the Empire State Building because I never thought I'd get back to New York. And in fact, I've never been back. So I thought I'd, I just got to go up, even though the security was intense you know, they searched everyone from head to toe, uh, and it was you know quite a brilliant scene from the viewing deck way up top. The other thing I'll never forget as well is going to Yankee Stadium for the back half of a Yankees-Baltimore Orioles doubleheader, and I still remember 
Raul Mondesi hitting a home run to left field as the Yankees won 3-1 that game. But the most memorable part was the seventh inning stretch. And they sang God Bless America. And people beside me, all around me, and I was in the second deck behind home plate, um, crying. And I had the biggest lump in my throat trying to keep it together. And I'm, I'm getting goosebumps right now because it was such an emotional moment um, to be there with all those tens of thousands of people. Uh, I'll never forget it. Yeah, you know, geographically, we're not that distant from New York City, where we are in southern Ontario. But it felt like there was an entirely different universe that we were part of. These people had gone through such a horrible experience. They had uh, they had lived through this through this year. And as you said, the the driver who took us to the site, he couldn't go all the way there. He said he hadn't been in the year previous. He dropped us off a block away, and it just it struck me just how. Um, safe we are and how insulated we we are from the circumstance that the people in New York City faced. I'm still having I'm having real trouble with this, Rick. Just talking to you now, all these memories coming back, uh, the emotions are just overwhelming, honestly. It is. It is uh, I'll leave you with a happy note, though. Okay. I'll never forget our conversation with Dr. Joy Brown. Oh. You know, you're, you're battling laryngitis. We meet <laughs> Dr. Joy, who is, you know, a famous New York City uh, talk show host, and she looks at me, knowing that I'm your producer, and says, get your butt down there to the drugstore and get this man some cough drops and some cough syrup and get him some medication. And I was so thrown off by that. I thought she was joking, but she she was not. No, she said to you at one point, said, what are you still doing here? <laughs> I thought she was joking. And, yeah, clearly she was She was dead serious. Yeah, she. I mean, she was a remarkable woman as well. She was also very grateful that we came. She hugged us uh, both. She's passed away now, of course. But, yeah, she was very serious about that. Get down to the drugstore. Get this man what he needs and what he's still doing here. Yeah, such, such a, an incredible time. Yes. Uh, it was an amazing two-day broadcast. Uh, had some fun, but obviously was uh, super serious, super emotional, and uh, something I'll never forget. Thank you, Ray. The mayor of, former mayor of Gander, Newfoundland, joins us. He was mayor at 9-11, Claude Elliott. Joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Mr. Mayor, thank you very much for the time. And you know Ms. Basnicki, don't you? Yes, I certainly do. Um... Mr. Mayor, how did the day begin 20 years ago today, before you were made aware of what was going on as far as the attacks of the World Trade Center are concerned and planes started to arrive in Canada? What kind of day were you planning on? Well, uh, it was just a normal day. Uh, I normally get up, and like I said, I start my day at the coffee shop at Tim Hortons, and we get there for probably an hour or so, and I would go in, normally go into the office and probably sign some documents and you know, just do a few things so about 10 or 10.30, and then I would probably leave and, uh, you know, go back again after lunch if need be. So that would be a normal day, but uh, that day didn't turn out to be very normal. No, so when did things start to change, and when were you informed that Gander well, would become the place passenger jets from all over the world would be landing at? Well, I, I guess that we, we first got the message, I, I guess you're looking at early afternoon because uh, I, I think the, the last, the second plane hit the World Trade Center at like 9.17 or something like that in the morning in New York. Well, that was almost 11 o'clock in the morning here. So it was in the early afternoon that we got the word that the United States was shutting down its airspace. 
and that Canada had agreed to take in uh, all the aircraft that was in the air because uh, they were under a terrorist attack and they didn't know how widespread this attack was. So they had to get the planes out of the air, out of U.S. airspace uh, until they could uh, find out what was really happening. And you wound up with almost 40,000 people in your community of 20,000, right? No, no, we, we, we ended up in Gander with, uh, we had a population of about 9,500 at the time. We ended up with 60, about 6,700 uh, passengers uh, from 38 planes. So that's what we ended up with. Okay, so I shouldn't listen to the statistics in newscast then. I should. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there were, some, uh, there were some amazing personal stories that took place, and I'm sure relationships have have been able to be sustained over 20 years. What's one of the stories that comes by that you know that remains from that time? Well, I I, I guess there's there's a lot there, there's thousands of personal stories that people had, you know. But uh, I, I I guess the one story that keeps resonating for all of us is that keeps coming back is people talk about the the kindness and the generosity and, uh, you know, how comfortable they felt once they got here and got to know us and, and you know, the people were so relaxed and, and in a difficult time, but they were very, very, very happy to be in, here in Gander and surrounding communities. So it's been, uh, uh, you know, we, we still talk to some people on a, on a weekly basis, uh, we do Zoom calls with people, or just, you know, get together for a chat and keep in touch. So all these people from different parts of the world were exposed, exposed to the legendary Atlantic Canada friendliness, and, and they really benefited from that. When oh, you... Not, go ahead. Yeah, no, how has, uh, how did 9-11 change your community, if it did? Well, I'm not sure that we change much. I, I don't think that we change because we are who we are. Right. And and what happened uh, them five days during 9-11 uh, was happening in, in Gander any time of the year and still happening today of kindness and generosity in that. But I, I, I think that probably the, the most valuable lesson that we learned from it is that we are very, uh, very fortunate to be living where we're living. Uh, we're, you know, we're living in a part of the world where uh, not very many, uh, very many people hates us or anything. We don't. We're not under attack or anything. We're very peaceful. It's a fairly friendly place to live, and and I think that that's what people seen. So. Uh, I think that we still still live that way. I know we, we live that way, you know, 24-7. But I think the one thing that we did come away from is said, look, uh, you know, uh, let's not take this for granted because you never know when the world can change and our community can change too, you know. So enjoy it and try to try to keep it keep it going as much as we can. You know, the generosity and kindness is what the world is missing today. Absolutely, and your community provided that generosity and that kindness to people who were bewildered, who didn't know really what was going on. They were on aircraft, they were heading somewhere, and suddenly they're in your community, and your community made them welcome and, and kept them welcome and kept them fed and housed. Just a remarkable display by the people of Gander. Mr. Elliott, thank you for the time. Thanks so much for spending the time with us. And it's been my pleasure. Thank you. All the best. A mayor of former mayor of Gander, Newfoundland. Claude Elliott, I first spoke with my next guest uh, just before the first anniversary of 9/11, and uh, he's a he's a good friend of a friend of mine here in Hamilton, Ontario, 
uh, Pat Keller, former Hamilton police officer. Rich Panavaya is with us, and uh, Richard is a resident of Long Island. He was also on, in his office on the 35th floor of Tower Number 2 of the World Trade Center when the plane struck the tower. Rich, thank you very much uh, for coming on the program. Um, what, what, what happened? How did that feel? What was the experience uh, of that plane slamming into your building? And then what happened in the following minutes? Uh, Roy, thank you for having me again. It's good to talk to you after so many years. Uh, yes, it was a uh, just a unique day after we had seen what happened in Tower 1, and uh, we basically heard what happened over there, and then we saw the smoke coming out of it. Uh, but then seeing that, we decided to, our management team decided to, uh, as they say, evacuate, which proved to be a little uh, incorrect at the time because our building was never under attack at that moment. And uh, we started to leave. I told my wife that we were going to uh, leave the building and probably no more than maybe three or four minutes later when we were in the stairwell, there was one announcement that was made in Tower 2. The fire condition in Tower 1, Tower 2 is secure. You may return to your office. Everybody who hears that just takes a gasp and said, why would you go back? And it was because people were leaving Tower 2 and running across the plaza north past Tower 1. At the same time, people started to jump, and debris was still falling, so people were getting killed on the ground. And the fire department and the police department told people in Tower 2, just go back and shelter in place. No one knew there was a second plane. So when I heard that announcement, I stopped in the stairwell, turned around, walked into somebody's office, got in an elevator, went back up, got to my desk, picked up the phone and told my wife, hey, sweetheart, I'm back at my desk. And and that's exactly when the plane hit and she was watching it on television. And then the phone just went dead and the building rocked from side to side. And I'm like 70 floors well, 35 floors below where the plane actually hit on 78. Oh, my God. Um, I, I mean, I've heard you say this before. It's been some years. But it just shiver when I think about what it is you faced and everybody in that building faced. So back into the stairwell and and and, yes. and get out of there. Back back at when, I, when, when that building shook, I, at, at that point, the few, and I would I would – make certain of that very few people typical new yorkers the plane hit my building at uh 903 it hit the first one at 843 and a lot of folks don't come to work if you work nine to five you come to work at nine o'clock so at that point i was the only one left on my floor i looked around and it was like i don't know what's going on but the building is shaking i'm getting out of here and then we then i went back to the stairwell b proceeded to walk down and at my best recollection, I would say I was able to exit downstairs, underground through the concourse, and up to Trade Center Number 5 across Church uh, Street, probably about 9.30, maybe 9.35. And the building actually fell at 10.03 a.m. Richard, I'm just thinking of the uh, enormity of the impact to make a building of that size shake. 
the enormity of the impact to make a building of that size shake the way it did would just be um, off the scale. Yeah, I mean, they, they from what I've read, and only and I'm a safe, former safety engineer, so I read up a lot of that. Uh, I believe they max out as far as the speed. They just push the throttles full forward, and we're probably coming in somewhere between over 500, maybe 600 miles an hour. And they hit roughly around between 78 and 83, which is two-thirds of the way up. So you have a building, 110 stories, and you hit it mm-hmm. towards the top. It just It's physics. It's action-reaction. It pushes in, and it sways, then it recoils, and then it just stops. And that was a very strange feeling. I could even feel it down on 35 that the building actually moved from side to side, you know, maybe two or three feet by me. But I'm sure anybody upstairs must have been thrown halfway across the room. That's that's the scary part. Yeah. Uh, what what are you doing today? What do you do today, Richard? I'm uh, actually I had a uh, an interview in Manhattan uh, this morning on 9-11. And this afternoon, I'm at my daughter's in South Hempstead, and I will be attending a fire department memorial service for my son-in-law's best friend, Joseph Hunter, who was a member of uh, Fire Department uh, Squad 288 from Maspeth, Queens, and he was killed in Tower 2. Uh, They didn't even find his helmet, I don't believe, until November, and that's all they've ever found of him. Oh, my so many tragic individual stories, such a terrible occurrence that really changed the uh, the course of, of the world for the last 20 years, and it will continue to affect how we go forward. Richard, thank you. Thanks for spending the time with us today. Um, it's good, great to hear your voice, and we'll have to get together under, I think, more agreeable circumstances. Yeah, I, I look forward to the borders being open uh, again. I'd like to come up, come up there and see Patrick and you and... Uh, just sit down and have a nice, quiet, sociable meal one night. That that sounds Thank great. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, Thank Richard. You so much. Be safe. You too. Never forget. Thank All you. the best. Richard Panavia, uh, he's from Long Island. On the 35th floor, you heard the story. And we're looking, you know, like we have a balcony here. The paper, you know, is flying all into our balcony, our yard and everything. And we, you know, we're... What happened? What was that? Oh, my gosh. What happened, Allegra? Something just blew up. Are you okay? Yes. And uh, into that maelstrom, my good friend, Dr. Frank Stetchy, found himself uh, invited. Hamilton, Ontario, a dentist, forensic experience, was called on to bring that professionalism to New York. Frank, thank you for coming on the program. You and, you've you explained uh, in the past what happened uh, in the days that you were in New York City, but there were incredible moments that you experienced, things that you saw, people you met. Just talk to us about that, please. Yes, uh, thank you very much, Roy. I uh, appreciate the invitation to be here. And Yes, uh, a lot of, I was listening to your program, and you know, a lot of, the people you've had already exper- or gave the experiences they had on the day of the tragic event. 
a lot of what I was involved with were after the fact, if you will. Uh, this is, you know, coming down uh, afterwards, seeing what there was and so forth. But uh, it was amazing. Um, I heard so many stories, you know, whether it's Mayor Elliott and Gander, uh, again, how Canadians came together, um, you know, with Maureen uh, Besnicki, you know, with her uh, husband being uh, you know, killed there as well, but the efforts that she's doing to try to get things uh, for others to remember, if we can kind of learn from our experiences, and uh, and even with yourself and Rick Sanford, you know, the stuff that you people are doing even after the fact, 20 years later, uh, it's important that we, you know, remember what happened on that day, but a lot of my work was, no question, it was uh, following that uh, when I was called down into use the expertise of forensic dentistry to uh, identify a lot of the victims. Uh, but one thing that they didn't prepare us for was that uh, the victims would be police officers, firefighters, paramedics, uh, port authorities. Uh, we respect the uniform, and yet here it is, the uniform that is our work to do is to identify them and bring closure to the families itself. Yes. You also saw some uh, remarkable scenes on the streets of New York City. Yes, uh, I think to all, um, again, I've been, my wife and I were many times to New York with to see our daughter. She was working at uh, CNN at the time. And uh, prior to that, I guess uh, the best way to describe it is the, uh, the uh, book, The Ugly American. The Americans were rushing here and rushing there, and, uh, you know, it was always about them and nobody else. And that completely stopped as of uh, 9-11. Uh, the most dramatic thing I saw was uh, when I was at the medical examiner's office and we'd be waiting for some of the uh, uh, ambulances to bring the uh, remains back. And as they came on with police escorts, the ambulances were brought forward and the yellow cabs, and if anybody's been in New York, you see the yellow cabs everywhere. And they're, you know, everybody else is just in the way from them to get their uh passengers to the site and they're blowing the horns and everything else they pulled off to the side uh waited for the procession but the big thing that happened was the uh and this was almost every one of them the drivers got out stood at attention their hands on their hearts until the procession went by oh boy. yeah uh, frank i mean we can all hear the emotion in your voice you just share with us please in the time we have left uh the the exchange list that you had with one particular young lady. Hmm. Yeah, Megan. <clears throat> yeah, Megan Scanlon. She was uh, oh, at the time in grade seven. Um, the first night I was there, I took off from Hamilton about three in the afternoon. Uh, by about five thirty, I was already in the surgical greens in the medical examiner's office, and uh, we worked in teams of four. And we worked out, watched out for each other, and I guess just the emotions, everything, the traveling, and everything else. About nine o'clock, I was wiped. Uh, and a buddy of mine, uh, Bill, he's a forensic dentist up in Ann Arbor, and him and I met each other at different courses right. quite a bit. And he said, right. "Let's go for a coffee." And at the coffee, the Salvation Army was there all the time. They were there for us twenty-four by seven. Yeah. And I was handed a package of actually it was a Twix candy bar, and wrapped around it was a letter from Megan. And I read that, and uh, I still have the letter. Um, 
the you know for a child in grade seven to write those type of things and uh yeah you know calling me a hero i'm not a hero the heroes were back on september 11th i was there after the fact and frank you did so much for so many people you've been doing it your whole life and you did it on 9-11 after 9-11 thank you for sharing this thanks for what you've done great to be your friend it's, it's mutual, Ryan. Thank you for all you do as well. We take care. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 